0: welcome. This is Melissa Giles, Portfolio Manager with Americana Partners. Welcome to another episode of our podcast. I'll be reviewing the November market commentary provided by David M. Darst, Chief Investment Officer with Americana Partners. If you'd like a full copy of the report, please visit our website at www.americanapartners.com and request to join our distribution list. The first section I'll be covering is called Where We Are. Please note that any charts or graphics referenced are available by request through our website. Let's begin. Plus ça change, plus c'est la même chose. Literally, the more it changes, the more it's the same thing. This epigram by French critic, journalist, and novelist, Jean-Baptiste Alphonse Carr, eighteen o eight eighteen ninety, appeared in the January 1849 issue of his journal Le Gep The Wasps. Amidst a surprise and shock-filled 2020, these words may to some degree characterize what thus far has produced a fairly moderate electoral outcome, inter-party post-election recriminations, a divided government, and enduring deep conflicts domestically and internationally. Beginning on Election Day and continuing since, against a backdrop of generally downward-trending VIX volatility readings, up-and-down fluctuations have occurred in equity prices, bond yields, and currency exchange rates as investors assumed, abandoned, and revised a kaleidoscopic array of shifting electoral, legal, political, legislative, fiscal spending, economic growth, regulatory policy, and even judicial outcomes. Before addressing, among other topics, the election results, the electoral map, and post-election dynamics, The following sections review the principal constructive and worrisome factors and developments affecting financial asset prices. Constructive Factors and Developments Two decisively strong underpinnings of U.S. financial asset prices include, first, the continuing Federal Reserve monetary policy stimulus. At the conclusion of the Federal Reserve's two day meeting on November 4th through the 5th, Fed Chair Jerome Powell said that policymakers had decided, until inflation rates rise consistently, to maintain their significant monetary stimulus by keeping policy interest rates anchored at 0% to 0.25% and by continuing their quantitative easing program of monthly purchases of $80 billion in U.S. Treasury securities and $40 billion in mortgage-backed securities. Second, The announcement on November 9th by Pfizer and BioNTech that their messenger RNA COVID-19 vaccine in phase 3 clinical trials has been shown to be more than 90% effective in preventing the pandemic coronavirus at 7 days after the second dose. This means that protection is achieved 28 days after the initiation of the vaccine, which consists of a two-dose schedule. This was followed up by the announcement on November 16th by Moderna that its messenger RNA COVID-19 vaccine has been shown to be 94.5% effective in preventing the pandemic coronavirus, with zero cases in the vaccine arm versus 11 cases in the placebo arm of the trial. Submission for emergency use authorization to the U.S. Food and Drug Administration is planned for soon after the required safety milestones have been achieved, which is expected to occur sometime in the latter 10 days of November. From the more than 200 COVID-19 vaccines in development around the world, according to the World Health Organization, nearly a dozen have started the final stage of testing. Among others, Phase three clinical trials and their associated mechanisms are being conducted by Moderna and the National Institute of Allergy and Infectious Diseases, messenger RNA, Johnson & Johnson, Adenovirus vector, AstraZeneca and the University of Oxford, Adenovirus vector, and Novavax, nanoparticle. Other positive factors potentially affecting financial asset prices include 1. Solid reports for October private sector jobs growth, positive 906,000, up from September's positive 892,000. Even as October's government payrolls fell, Negative 268,000, with a decline in the overall unemployment rate to 6.9%, down from 7.9% in September, 8.4% in August, and 14.7% in April. 2. Robust personal income, positive 0.9% month over month, personal consumption, positive 1.4% month-over-month, and retail sales, positive 1.9% month-over-month in September, compared to positive 0.5% in August, positive 1.2% in July, and positive 7.5% in June. 3. Expansionary readings in the Philadelphia Federal Reserve Manufacturing Activity Index, 32.30, in October up from 15.0 in September and 17.2 in August, and the Empire State Manufacturing Survey, 10.5 in October, compared with 17.0 in September and 3.7 in August. Four, sustained construction, pricing, and new and existing home sales volume strength in the housing sector, bolstered by continued monthly declines in the 30-year fixed rate, Freddie Mac, mortgage interest rates from 3.62% in January to 2.83% in October. 5. After rising positive 3.1% in June, positive 2.0% in July, and positive 1.4% in August, the September leading economic indicators increased positive 0.7%. 6. buoyant October readings above the 50-level indicating expansion for the ISM Manufacturing Index 59.3, for the ISM Services Index, 56.6, and for durable goods orders, positive 1.9% in September, following gains of positive 0.4% in August, positive 11.2% in July, positive 7.3% in June, and positive 15.1% in May. 7. Significant improvements in securities analysts, S&P 500, earnings revisions breadth, with analysts' bottom-up consensus estimates as of November 6th, calling for S&P 500 year-over-year earnings to decline negative 7.5% in third quarter 2020 and negative 10.9% in fourth quarter 2020, followed by projected year-over-year earnings growth of positive 14.5% in first quarter 2021 and positive 44.0% in second quarter 2021. Based on corporate CEOs and CFOs' revenue and profit guidance comments on their third quarter 2020 earnings calls, which have been taken place in October and thus far in November, analysts have forecast an S&P 500 earnings decline of negative 14.8% for calendar year 2020 as a whole, followed by earnings growth of positive 22.4% for calendar year 2021 as a whole. 8. Continued back to back record high readings for the Small Business Optimism Index, 104.0 in October and in September, even as the Consumer Confidence Index slipped to 100.3 in October versus 101.3 in September. 9. A sharp growth rebound of 33.1% in annualized third quarter 2020 GDP, followed by the Atlanta Federal Reserve's GDP Now forecasts of a more modest positive 2.2% in annualized fourth quarter 2020 GDP. First quarter 2020 GDP experienced a negative 5.0% annualized decline and second quarter 2020 GDP contracted at a negative 31.4% annualized rate. 10. Somewhat improved global and domestic supply, demand, and inventory conditions have imparted a slightly firmer tone to West Texas intermediate oil prices positive 16% in the month through November 10th, and, though slightly interrupted by warmer weather in early November, to natural gas prices. Now let's discuss worrisome factors and developments. Midway through the fourth quarter of what has proven to be a turbulent and tumultuous year, among the disquieting developments for investors to contend with include, one, the United States has reported more than 1 million new coronavirus cases since the start of November, And infectious disease experts have warned that with colder weather and holiday gatherings bringing people closer together indoors, the surge is predicted to worsen and negatively affect economic activity over the next several weeks, with wide distribution of a vaccine not likely before the second half of 2021. A surge in new COVID-19 infections across Europe has prompted a second wave of lockdowns that may push the continent's economy into its second contraction this year. 3. Despite ongoing negotiations and in light of the preoccupations brought on by the national elections, as of mid-November, Congress and the White House have been unable to agree on a new stimulus package with declining perceived probabilities of a comprehensive deal being reached before 13 million individuals are scheduled to lose unemployment benefits on December 31st. Four, with many states responding to higher rates of new coronavirus infections by lifting restrictions on business activity more slowly than at mid-year, and with significant portions of the travel, lodging, live entertainment, indoor dining, and other in-person business sectors still closed, applications for unemployment insurance remain elevated, with 709,000 new filings for the week ending November 7th. They reached a peak near 7 million at the end of March, and they were as low as 200,000 before the coronavirus pandemic took hold this spring. Five, A total of 11.1 million individuals remain unemployed in October, compared to 23 million unemployed persons in April 2020 and 6.5 million unemployed in January. Six, by several metrics, S&P 500 valuations are extended. The forward price-earnings ratio is 24.2 times. 46.7% above its 25-year average of 16.5 times. The total value of U.S. equities has risen from 60% of GDP in 1990 to 120% in 1996 to 172% in November 2020, which equals... $36.5 $36.5 trillion for the Wilshire total market capitalization divided by a $21.2 trillion U.S. GDP, a ratio even surpassing the 139% ratio experienced by Japan at the very height of its 1980s super bubble. And as of November 12th, the S&P 500-Shiller price earnings ratio, also known as the Cyclically Adjusted Price Earnings Ratio or the CAPE Ratio, defined as the market value divided by the 10-year average of inflation-adjusted earnings, was 32.24, 104% above its 140-year median of 15.81. 7. Evidence continues of investor optimism and broadening exuberance, including significant call options buying, high levels of zero-commission trading in speculative stocks with low share prices, a year-over-year doubling in the percentage of total trading volume to 20%, accounted for by individual investors, elevated cloud computing, electric vehicle, e-commerce, and other sectors' initial public offering activity, with the average one-day gain through early October 2020 for USIPOs positive 23.7%, compared to positive 12.8% in 2019 and positive 13.4% in 2018, proliferating popular usage of app-based trading platforms, frequently offering complex financial products and trading schemes, and the recent rapid embrace of special purpose acquisition companies. Essentially, blank check acquisition vehicles often funded before the ultimate use of the offering proceeds is known. According to Refinitive, through the end of September, these so-called SPACs, representing 50% of the total year-to-date 2020 IPO volume, accounted for more than the aggregate SPAC capital raised over the last 10 years. 8. As of the beginning of November, a very high 19.8% of the S&P 500's total market capitalization was represented by the top five stocks. Apple, 6.5%, Microsoft, 5.7%, Amazon, 4.8%, Alphabet, 3.6% for both share classes combined, and Facebook, 2.8%, compared to 17.8% for Microsoft, Cisco, General Electric, Intel, and ExxonMobil, at the speculative peak of the dot-com bubble in late 1999-early 2000. Nine, intermediate and long-term U.S. Treasury interest rates appear to have broken out of their narrow trading range and have continued trending upward, with 10-year yields rising 22 basis points from 0.66% on September 1st to 0.88% on November 12th, and 30-year yields increasing 26 basis points from 1.38% to 1.64% over the same time interval, and 10. A significant degree of uncertainty marks the evolution of the U.S.-China relationship, not to mention the policy implications of the final outcomes of the U.S. national elections. Now let's discuss the election results and process. The 29th quadrennial presidential elections in 2020 featured a massive turnout, Where both sides mobilized unprecedented numbers of voters that resulted in razor thin victory margins in numerous crucial states. Out of more than 149 million total votes, over 100 million were cast early, either in person or through the mail, with the U.S. Postal Service delivering more than 60 million ballots. As of Thursday, November 12th, over 72 million people had voted for candidate Trump and over 77 million people had voted for candidate Biden. Polling place disturbances, systematic issues, and irregularities appear to have been limited to certain states, and early evidence suggests that the share of rejected ballots was lower than 2016. While some locations featured unacceptably long lines, voting machine outages, and problems with electronic poll books used to check in voters, 2020's balloting, despite a record turnout and complications associated with the coronavirus pandemic, appears to have been free of violence, rampant disinformation, voter intimidation, and significant foreign interference. Owing to the diligent efforts of election administrators and poll workers, more than 700,000 people signed up to work at polling sites through Power the Polls, an umbrella group of dozens of local and national civic organizations and corporations that connected workers to local election administrators. By and large, the election proceeded smoothly in numerous states while in others, Results were challenged, with contentious disputes arising over postmark dates, cured provisional ballots, mail-in voter identification, ineligible ballots, cyber tampering, and observer access. Validly cast votes were counted, and ballots that were not cast according to state law because they arrived too late were missing required signatures, secrecy envelopes, or had other defects, were rejected. Scandals and accusations during the campaigns, which damaged both candidates in 2016, appear to have exerted much less of an impact in 2020. Assuming that the U.S. Postal Service centers for early in-person voting and ballot drop boxes may be used to a significant degree in future elections, consideration is likely to be given to 1. Allowing every state to begin counting absentee ballots as they are received rather than waiting, as some states did this year, to begin this process on Election Day. 2. Establishing expanded deadlines for voters to request and return absentee ballots. And 3. Analyzing and working to improve America's election infrastructure, including statewide voter registration databases, standardized poll worker training procedures, voting equipment modernization, ballot design, recount criteria and protocols, and and transparent post-election reporting of performance and accountability. Now let's discuss the electoral map. As shown in the graphic provided in the original commentary, the Democratic presidential victory rests to a significant degree on results in 21 states, plus the District of Columbia, along the Pacific coast and in the Northeast, as well as narrow victories in two states of the upper Midwest— that were carried by candidate Trump in 2016. President Trump achieved victories in Florida, North Carolina, and 22 central states between the Rockies and the Appalachians. Brookings institution data reflect that the less than 500 counties won by candidate Biden generated 70% of America's GDP in 2018, while the more than 2,400 counties won by candidate Trump Generated 29% of America's GDP in 2018. In the end, early voting appears to have made a difference for candidate Biden, overcoming the largely in person Election Day ballots of candidate Trump's supporters. In 2020, according to the Pew Research Center, 1. The share of Americans identifying themselves as conservative rose to 37%, while the percentage identifying themselves as liberal fell to 24%, and 2. Indicative of their passionate feelings about the outcome, 83% of registered voters, compared to 50% in 2000, responded that it really matters who wins the presidential election. U.S. voter turnout in 2020 was 66.4% of eligible voters, the highest since 73.7% in 1900. The 2020 AP vote cast exit polls and the 2016 Pew Validated Voters Database report, in descending order, that the share of the 2020 national electorate compared to the share of the 2016 national electorate was suburban, 45% to 50%, over 65 years of age, 27% to 27%, white women, no college, 24% to 24%, white men, no college. 19% to 21%. White men, college, 16% to 13%. White women, college, 14% to 17%. Between 18 and 29 years of age, 13% to 13%. African American women, 7% to 6%. Latino women, 5% to 5%. Latino men, 4% to 5%. And African-American men 4% to 4%. In 2016, candidate Trump won Wisconsin by little more than 20,000 votes. And in 2020, candidate Biden won the state by approximately the same margin. In 2016, candidate Trump won Michigan by approximately 11,000 votes. And in 2020, candidate Biden's winning margin in the state was nearly 140,000 votes. In 2016, Candidate Trump won Pennsylvania by more than 44,000 votes, whereas in 2020, candidate Biden won the state by close to 54,000 votes by the time the Associated Press called the election on Saturday, November 7th. While the popular vote margin expanded from Hillary Clinton's approximately 3 million plus in 2016 to Joe Biden's approximately 5 million plus in 2020, both elections' key electoral states' margins remained very tight. Changing 38,874 votes from Trump to Clinton, half of each state's total margin, plus one vote in Michigan, Wisconsin, and Pennsylvania, in 2016 would have produced a 278 to 260 result in favor of Hillary Clinton. And changing 44,035 votes from Biden to Trump, half of each state's total margin, plus one vote in Georgia, Wisconsin, and Pennsylvania in 2020 would have produced a 278 to 260 result in favor of Donald Trump. Now let's discuss some observations. Electorates seeking major change tend to express such preferences with a significant popular vote percentage margin and down-ballot results reinforcing the presidential result. Such an outcome turned out not to be the case in 2020. Voters in many states were inclined to split their tickets, defined as when a voter marks his or her ballot for candidates from different political parties, when multiple offices are being decided by a single election. Partly as a consequence, Democrats were unsuccessful in attempting to flip several state legislatures and their principal targeted opponents in Senate races, while Democrats unseated Republicans in Arizona and Colorado, they lost a key race in Montana and a seat in Alabama, And Republican Senators Susan Collins, Maine, and Joni Ernst, Iowa, managed to fend off Democratic challengers in their states. It appears that while America in 2020 is a very closely divided country, with declining faith in government and widening cultural, social, and philosophical rifts, a large part of its deep keel populace has ideologically tacked toward the middle of the road, despite Predictions that Democrats would gain an additional 15 seats in the House of Representatives, building upon their 2018 midterm gains of seven state governorships, 41 House seats, the achievement of a House majority, and reflecting the fact that Democratic political action committees and advocacy groups outspent Republicans by nearly $100 million in 2020 House races. Republicans appear to have gained as many as 11 House seats, resulting in 225 Democrats and 210 Republicans, and set up a push for the GOP to attempt achieving a House majority in 2022. At the state level, Republicans gained a majority in two additional state legislative chambers, to 61 Republican and 37 Democratic, and gained a net of one governorship to 27 Republican and 23 Democratic. The Republican Party has to some degree come to be transformed from being perceived as representing the well-off classes in the later part of the 20th century to being perceived as representing the working classes in the early part of the 21st century. In California, despite a 14-to-1 spending margin, Proposition 16, the initiative to revoke Proposition 209 from 1996 and instead allow public institutions to discriminate openly on the basis of race in order to favor some groups over others, was decisively rejected. Also rejected were attempts. 1 to expand rent control, Proposition 21, and two, to define app-based drivers as employees and not as independent contractors, while at the same time enacting several labor and wage policies, Proposition 22. According to the Center for Responsive Politics, A nonprofit, nonpartisan research group based in Washington, D.C., that tracks and maintains a public online database reflecting the effects of money and lobbying on elections and public policy. Aggregate presidential and congressional election spending amounted to $13.9 billion for the 2020 elections. This total compares to $6.5 billion for the 2016 elections, $6.3 billion for the 2012 elections, and $5.3 5.3 billion for the 2008 elections. Now let's discuss the Georgia senatorial elections. With neither of the opposing candidates achieving the 50% plus 1 vote margin needed to win election in both senatorial races, the 16 electoral vote state of Georgia, with its capital Atlanta, a fast-growing metropolis of 6 million in a heretofore largely rural state of 10.6 million, up from $7.9 million in 2000, has been thrust into the center of the nation's political competition by two special elections that will be held on Tuesday, January 5th, between one, incumbent Republican Kelly Loeffler and Democrat Reverend Dr. Raphael Warnock, and two, incumbent Republican David Perdue and Democrat John Ossoff, control of the Senate, and whether the 2020 national elections turn out to be, one, a blue tide, Democratic White House, Republican Senate, and Democratic House of Representatives, sometimes also referred to as a purple wave, or two, a blue wave, Democratic White House, Democratic Senate, and Democratic House of Representatives, hangs in the balance, as does the fate of each party's legislative, regulatory, taxation, and spending priorities, not to mention both parties' 2022 midterm election prospects. Democrats and Republicans are thus projected to dedicate significant money. Early estimates indicate that as much as $100 million will be spent by each party and resources toward what has turned out to be a crucial political battle in a state that was considered safely Republican 10 years ago. According to the Georgia Secretary of State's office, Georgia had 5.8 million registered voters in 2010, 6.6 million in 2016, 6.9 million in 2018, and 7.5 million in November 2020. Voter turnout in 2020 has closely approached 5 million, a record. Now let's discuss from Election Day to Inauguration Day. In the days immediately following the closure of polls on Tuesday, November 3rd, State election officials are responsible for counting, confirming, and certifying the popular vote. For 2020, Tuesday, December 8th is the targeted date, known as the safe harbor deadline, for each state to appoint its electors before the Electoral College meets to formally cast the state's votes. Most states appoint their electors to the winner of the statewide popular vote. On Monday, December 14th, electors meet in each state to cast their votes. If an elector chooses to abstain or vote for a candidate other than the one they promised to support, he or she is called a faithless elector. In the 58 presidential elections conducted thus far in American history, as of 2016, there had been a total of 165 instances of faithlessness, 63 of which occurred in 1872 when candidate Horace Greeley died after Election Day but before the Electoral College convened. Nearly all faithless electors have voted for third-party candidates or non-candidates, rather than switching their support to a major opposing party candidate. After the newly elected Congress is sworn in on Sunday, January 3rd, both houses meet to formally count the electoral votes and name the president on Wednesday, January 6th. If there is no clear winner in the Electoral College, Congress holds a contingent election, with the winner whichever candidate gains a majority 270 of the votes. If the count indicates that the candidates are tied or if no candidate gains a majority, then the House of Representatives votes to choose the president. With each state, delegation allowed only one vote. A candidate needs 26 votes to win the presidency. The president of the United States will be sworn in at noon Eastern Standard Time on Inauguration Day, Monday, January 20th, 2021, from 1793 until 1933, presidential inaugurations were held on Monday, March 4th, the day of the year on which the federal government began operations under the U.S. Constitution of 1789. When March 4th happened to fall on a Sunday, as it did in 1821, 1849, 1877, and 1917, the public inauguration ceremony occurred on Monday, March 5th. Since 1937, the presidential inauguration has taken place at noon Eastern Standard Time on January 20th, the first day of the new presidential term. On three occasions thus far, when January 20th has fallen on a Sunday, the presidential oath of office was administered on that day privately, and then again in a public ceremony the next day on Monday, January 21st. Now let's discuss post-election dynamics. For some historical perspective on the constraints and opportunities facing the president in 2021, it may be illuminating, drawing upon data collected by the U.S. Office of Management and Budget, the Census Bureau, the Bureau of Labor Statistics, the World Inequality Database, and Bloomberg, to compare current circumstances to conditions prevailing when Ronald W. Reagan assumed the presidency at the beginning of 1981. One. Public U.S. government debt as a percentage share of U.S. GDP, ninety-eight point two percent now versus twenty-five point five percent then. Two, S&P 500 price earnings ratio, twenty-six point nine now versus nine point one then. Three, birth rate per one thousand population, twelve point four now versus fifteen point nine then. Four share of population with a college degree 36% now versus 17% then 5 share of national income held by top 1% of the population 20.5% now versus 11.2% then 6 unemployment rate 6.9 now versus 7.2% then 7 conference board consumer confidence index 101 now versus 79 then, and 8. Share of population satisfied with how things are going in the U.S. 26% now versus 17% then. The President, the Senate, and the House of Representatives have the following priorities and challenges. 1. Uniting the country by reducing polarization, promoting civic comedy, and effecting compromise. 2 dealing with a coronavirus pandemic while pressing forward with initiatives to develop and distribute safe and efficacious vaccines. Three, strengthening the nation's economic trajectory. Four, ensuring that the two Senate races in Georgia are conducted fairly. Five, facing and maintaining order over inter-party policy conflicts and ideological realignments, as both parties seek to sort out their identities and priorities going forward on such issues as health care, social justice, universal basic income, immigration, economic inequality and climate change. 6. Seeking to build bridges between the coast and the heartland, urban dwellers and rural populations, moderates and extremists, and citizens over 40 years of age, the silent, baby boomer and generation X cohorts, and citizens under 40 years of age, the millennial and generation Z cohorts and 7 fashioning a robust foreign policy that takes account of relationships with allies and keeps in check the explicit and implicit actions of the nation's adversaries. Now let's discuss Goldilocks gridlock. Although history does not repeat itself, securities industry's market lore appears to indicate that financial asset prices have tended to react favorably to divided governments, a condition that has come to be known as political gridlock. Gridlock can occur when two legislative houses or the executive branch in the legislature are controlled by different political parties or otherwise cannot agree. As shown in points one and two of the original commentary, when a Democrat has been in the White House, gridlock conditions have been associated with advantageous S&P 500 equity market performance, circumstances sometimes described as Goldilocks gridlock. According to data covering the 76 years from November 1945 through November 2020, compiled by House.gov, Senate.gov, Southeast Missouri State University, J.P. Morgan, and Bloomberg, when the U.S. government has won a Democratic president and a Republican Congress 13.2% of the time, the S&P 500 has generated a 16.4% annualized total return. Two, a Democratic president and a divided Congress, five point three percent of the time, the S and P five hundred has generated a sixteen point seven percent annualized total return. Three, a Democratic president and a Democratic Congress, twenty eight point nine percent of the time, the S and P five hundred has generated a thirteen point one percent annualized total return. Four, a Republican president and a Republican Congress. 10.5% of the time, the S&P 500 has generated a 15.6% annualized total return. Five, a Republican president in a divided Congress, 13.2% of the time, the S&P 500 has generated an 8.1% annualized total return and six, a Republican president in a Democratic Congress, 28.9% of the time, the S&P 500 has generated a 6.9% annualized total return. Keeping in mind the dictum that past performance does not guarantee future results, especially given the small sample size and the influence of the timing of recessions and significant tightening or stimulus policies by the Federal Reserve, from the six performance scenarios outlined above, it would appear that the most favorable outcome for U.S. equities— As here represented by the S and P 500 index, a 16.7% annualized total return would be a Democratic president and a divided Congress. Although such a scenario has occurred only 5.3% of the time over the past 76 years, beyond policy actions influenced by executive orders from the White House, a divided government should it occur, pending the outcome of Georgia's two runoff senatorial races on January 5, 2021. Is likely, among other policies, to 1. Maintain the current level of U.S. corporate taxes, 2. Introduce more modest levels of infrastructure spending, and 3. Pose reduced regulatory threats toward big technology companies, banks and financial institutions, healthcare and energy companies. On the other hand, a Democratic Senate, House of Representatives, and presidency is perceived as likely to lead to higher taxes higher levels of infrastructure spending, and increased regulatory activity toward several industries. Perceived sectoral beneficiaries of blue wave, Democratic White House, Democratic Senate, Democratic House, executive and legislative policies, and, by the same token, sectors less favorably affected by divided government, Democratic White House, Republican Senate, Democratic House, executive and legislative policies include among others the US dollar exchange rate versus foreign currencies tax exempt state and local government municipal bonds high yield bonds small cap stocks construction and engineering manufacturing materials industrial machinery and related firms focusing on the US transportation maritime and aviation infrastructure renewable energy including wind farms solar projects and high-voltage direct-current transmission facilities, healthcare equipment and supplies, and cannabis-related companies. Sectors perceived to be less favorably affected by blue wave, Democratic White House, Democratic Senate, Democratic House, executive and legislative policies, and by the same token, favorably affected by divided government, Democratic White House, Republican Senate, Democratic House, executive and legislative policies include, among others, large firms benefiting from 2017 corporate tax cuts, large-cap pharmaceutical stocks, diversified banks and other lenders, content liability-protected social network companies currently shielded by Section 230 of the 1996 Communications Decency Act, dominant technology antitrust targets, the oil and gas sector, aerospace and defense firms, health insurance companies, student loan servicing companies, credit rating firms, and stock exchange operators, precious metals and precious metals mining shares, and labor-intensive enterprises sensitive to minimum wage increases, for example, retail and grocery companies, restaurant and fast food chains, four higher ride-sharing companies and courier package delivery firms. Now let's move on to portfolio positioning. 1. Strategies and Tactics In the current post-election environment and throughout its expected evolution in the early years of the new presidential term, we believe that special thought, planning, and attention should be devoted to the investors' most appropriate forms and vehicles for implementing the fundamental elements of asset allocation and investment strategy. 1. Diversification, which means having sustainably low and negatively correlated investment exposures that truly counterbalance price movements in other assets, particularly during times of great financial stress and or market volatility. 2. Rebalancing, which means using concepts of reversion to the mean to trim exposures to assets that have grown to represent too large a portion of the overall portfolio, while at the same time adding exposure to high-quality assets that have fallen out of investor favor and suffered significant, though likely not permanent, price declines. Three, risk management, which means understanding the degree of liquidity, the true pricing realism, and various roles of liquidity, real assets, financial assets, and alternative assets in decade-long or longer regimes of inflation, stagflation, deflation, monetary disruptions, and currency reset. 4. Reinvestment, which encompasses knowing when to emphasize and trade-off income versus capital growth, all the while keeping in mind the critical importance of discipline, patience, and longevity in compounding dividend, coupon, and other income flows, and 5. Asset Protection and Husbandry, which addresses considerations of taxation, estate planning, cybersecurity, monitoring, reporting, administrative costs, access, and custody. Two. Intermediate term themes to consider. We continue to counsel a considered and considerable exposure to equities with judicious shifts between styles, sectors, geographies, and where appropriate from a cost, timing, liquidity, and size standpoint, public versus private markets. Expressed are a number of themes that we believe should be taken into consideration over the next few years in selecting asset categories, asset classes, sectors, companies, and security types. 1. Paying attention to the value of money, taking advantage of, rather than being taken advantage of by, the likelihood of money printing, internal and external currency debasement, government debt, monetization, and modern monetary theory, likely to continue being pursued by the authorities, within shifting money and credit cycles, to service America's massive explicit government and corporate indebtedness, and the enormous implicit obligations of pension and health care promises. 2. Concentrating on all weather sectors and companies. Seeking investments with balance and flexibility that are able to thrive regardless of a divided or a unified Congress, evolving social priorities and values, wealth distribution initiatives, public health conditions, and political trends. 3. Distinguishing between temporary and permanent change. Focusing on the commercial and financial implications of new power structures, alliances, and geopolitical relationships, new energy sources and resources, new trade patterns, new on and offshoring channels, and new business models, pathways, digitalizations, and forms of person to person and business to business work, leisure, learning, and wellness. 4. Taking advantage of demographic tailwinds. Through U.S. and select non-U.S. companies gaining exposure to and meeting the rising needs, aspirations, and spending power of the rapidly expanding global middle class, especially in Asia. Five, verifying past success, emphasizing companies and sectors that have demonstrated successful track records and past experience in capital allocation, balance sheet strength, risk management, sustainably defendable business models, and the ability to generate and sustain high multi-year returns on equity derived from revenue growth and favorable margin preservation rather than through excessive leverage meaningfully above the companies and sectors weighted average cost of capital and six identifying innovative technology hegemons focusing on technology enablers and dominators in biotechnology artificial intelligence machine learning 5g cellular network technology the Internet of Things, Robotics, Quantum Computing, Battery and Energy Inventions, and Electric Vehicles. 3. Keeping Things in Perspective Many of the overarching themes and conditions that influence our intermediate and long-term asset allocation and investment strategy emphasize the need to recognize that the concepts and implementation methods intended to achieve safety, balance, diversification, and liquidity are likely to face evolving social priorities geopolitical power relationships, price level changes, demographic trends, indebtedness levels, technological pervasiveness, and not least the definition, role, degree, of physicality, embodiment, and value of money itself. Some observations on the current environment and conditions expected in the period ahead are set forth in the sections that follow. 4. Enhancing and Preserving while we do feel some persistent unease over the apparent disconnect between, on the one hand, the growing mainstream popularity of stocks associated with the rapid recovery in U.S. equity prices, and, on the other hand, the continued uncertain pandemic and economic outlook. Our short-term inclination at this point in time is to take note of the Federal Reserve's ongoing support of financial asset prices while taking advantage of such strength, to continue upgrading the quality of portfolio holdings. One, jettisoning lower quality, high-risk assets. Two, selectively carrying some cash like liquidity. And three, with timing restraint and price discipline, adding to attractively priced higher quality assets on equity market pullbacks. 5. Equity emphasis and de-emphasis, particularly in the current conditions of very low U.S. Treasury interest rates, and given the emphasis of post-election government spending initiatives, to us it appears likely that cash-generating, financially stable companies with robust growth prospects, which are able to operate and thrive in the digital sphere as they continue to enhance their business models, should retain a valuation premium. Within equities, one may consider 1 beginning to shift some emphasis from growth sectors, companies, and managers towards the moderate inclusion of some value sectors, companies, and managers, Two, modestly adding small and mid-cap companies or investment managers specializing in and with good track records in the space, to our primary emphasis on large capitalization enterprises, and three, for the time being, continuing to prefer tactical overweighting to U.S. domestic equities over international developed and emerging market stocks. 6. Focus on strength and quality. Our long-term equity portfolio weightings continue to emphasize asset managers, sectors, and specific companies that can benefit from the major sustained trends of the 2020 decade, including 1. Incremental growth in a wide range of economic circumstances. 2. A focus on economic repair, digitalization, e-commerce, personal wellness, safety, domesticity, home improvement, infrastructure spending, and where possible, the release of pent-up consumer demand. And three, advantageous capture of benefits from onshoring, supply chain redesign, and deglobalization as important drivers of capital spending and disruptive innovation. At the company level in equities, we reiterate our emphasis in point two, intermediate term themes to consider on identifying and building long-term exposures to firms possessing fortress-like cash-rich balance sheets, limited debt, positive free cash flow generation, dividend strength, and competitive business models that over a long time frame can generate high returns on equity through revenue growth and enduring profit margins, rather than through excessive levels of leverage. 7. Balancing Growth and Value Sectors On a year-to-date basis through Thursday, November 12th, the iShares Russell 1000 Growth ETF, symbol IWF, and including companies in sectors such as technology, healthcare, and communication services, had returned positive 27.8%, as per The Wall Street Journal, while the iShares Russell 1000 Value ETF, symbol IWD, and including companies in sectors such as financial, real estate, energy, utility, and industrial companies had returned negative 7.3%, as per the Wall Street Journal. This 35.1 percentage point growth minus value returns differential has narrowed slightly by 1.7 percentage points from among the already historically widest such divergences in more than three decades, as cited in our October monthly commentary, and to us appears to argue for considering some piecemeal prudent reallocation from growth sectors, companies, and managers into selected value sectors, companies, and managers. Eight, fixed income securities. We affirm our predilection for issuers at the high quality end of the rating spectrum both in investment-grade and in high-yield bonds, in taxable and tax-exempt bonds, where we continue to see some areas of value on a taxable equivalent basis. We prefer maturities and durations along the short-to-intermediate portion of the yield curve spectrum. 9. U.S. dollar outlook. After declining negative 7.4% in 2017, appreciating positive 4.3% in 2018, and marginally slipping negative 0.2% in 2019, the DXY U.S. dollar index measured versus a basket of six major currencies, the euro, Japanese yen, Swedish krona, British pound, Canadian dollar, and Swiss franc, had, as of the market close on November 12th, declined negative 3.7% year-to-date, following the U.S. dollar's strength in first quarter 2020 as a safe haven flight-to-quality asset during the pandemic and lockdown-induced global financial market turbulence earlier this year. The DXY index had gained fully positive 6.7% year-to-date as of March 20th. We believe the U.S. dollar may continue on its gradual path of weakness as due primarily to short-term coronavirus-related impediments to the U.S. economy and the Federal Reserve's stated preference for lower yields in the United States." The U.S. dollar's income-generating advantage is likely to remain considerably narrower versus other major currencies than it has been over the recent past. 10. Alternative Investments and Real Assets In alternative investments, we continue our multi-quarter focus that has for some time emphasized exposure to gold and our gold mining shares ETFs, high-quality, master limited partnerships with strong business models, and sustainable dividend-paying capacity select investments in private credit and private real estate and opportunistic strategies that are positioned to selectively derive meaningful value from the dislocations created by the coronavirus pandemic and the initially strong and now oscillating recovery therefrom. A Connecticut Thanksgiving proclamation. Time out of mind at this turn of the seasons, when the hardy oak leaves rustle in the wind and their frost gives a ting to the air, and the dusk falls early and the friendly evenings lengthen, under the heel of Orion. It has seemed good to our people to join together in praising the Creator and Preserver, who has brought us by a way that we did not know to the end of another year. In observance of this custom, I appoint Thursday, the 26th of November, as a day of public thanksgiving for the blessings that have been our common lot and have placed our beloved state with the favored regions of earth. For all the creature comforts, the yield of the soil that has fed us and the richer yield from labor of every kind that has sustained our lives. And for all those things, as dear as breath to the body, that quicken a person's faith in their own humanity, that nourish and strengthen his or her spirit to do the great work still remaining. For the kind word and act, for honor held above price, for steadfast courage and zeal in the long, long search after truth, for liberty and for justice freely granted by each to his fellow and so as freely enjoyed, and for the crowning glory and mercy of peace upon our land, that we may humbly take heart of these blessings as we gather once again with solemn and festive rites to keep our harvest home. Given, under my hand and seal, of the State at the Capitol in Hartford, this twelfth day of November, in the year of our Lord, 1936, and of the Independence of the United States, the 161st. Wilbur L. Cross, by His Excellency Command, C. John Sadi, Secretary. This concludes our November Market Commentary by David M. Darst. David is Americana Partners' Chief Investment Officer. We are available to answer questions you may have regarding the topics discussed. If you'd like a full copy of the report, please visit our website at www.americanapartners.com and request to join our distribution list. Thank you for listening. This is Melissa Giles, Portfolio Manager with Americana Partners. Stay invested.